0: This is the Crazy Beautiful Life Podcast. I'm Bethany, but most people call me B, and I'm your host. From health and wellness, money moves, environmentalism, lifestyle design, and more, this podcast helps inspire you to live your most crazy beautiful life. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast. Happy Monday. It is just such a beautiful fall day today, and I can't believe it's October 26th. What the hell, you guys? I can't believe there's really like only two months left of 2020. This entire year is almost gone, Um, but I'm still working towards all my goals and my dreams and my aspirations. I haven't given up on twenty twenty just yet, but I just can't believe how quickly time is going by. It's a beautiful Monday morning right now. I'm just home alone. Danny is off at work. Mondays are one of my days off work. Um, and I'm just like drinking my coffee. I have a little soy candle lit, which is a much healthier form of a candle than our typical candles. Um, I'm wearing fuzzy slippers and I'm just feeling super grateful for being here in this time and having this podcast and just having the ability to chit chat with y'all and just spread love and inspiration and knowledge and kindness and all the things. First of all, last week's episode was so different than a lot of the other um, Estrogen Empire episodes that I've posted. And I just want to say thank you. That episode was so well received. I was receiving DMs from people who I didn't even know were following me, people who just started listening to the podcast. We reached a lot of new listeners, a lot of new accounts. So if you are one of those new people, then welcome. Um, Welcome to The Crazy Beautiful Life. This is... This podcast is just all about all the things that contribute to our crazy, beautiful lives. And I hope you enjoy your stay. I hope you join the Facebook group. Facebook group is just called Crazy Beautiful Life. And I post additional content there and I chit chat with y'all and I get inspiration and recommendations. And the Crazy Beautiful Life is just a community of women empowering other women in all facets of, in all facets of life. And I hope that you go and join it. So welcome to our newcomers and to those who are not our newcomers, welcome back. Thanks for all the love on last week's episode. I'm I'm super grateful for that. And I'm also just pumped because that is just a sneak peek at all of the fun things that we're doing in season two, and I know that you guys are gonna love it. The last week um, has been fun. <laughs> it's been it's been a good time. Um, so I went full time at Patagonia. This last week it was sort of my first like actually full time week. And something that is so strange that I've been loving is coming home from work and not having to do anything. Like all throughout uni, I would come home from work or I would come home from class or whatever and I would have to study and I'd have a million things to do and it's just so nice like coming home at the end of the day and not having more work to do and actually having time to do the things that I want to do like work on my business, uh, work on the podcast, work on Instagram content and all of those things. And another thing that I've been loving about coming home from work is watching TV. Now, I don't watch Netflix ever. I don't watch Netflix. I don't watch movies. Um, I just never have. Um, Throughout uni, whenever I would like go home for Christmas holidays, that's when I would get like my TV fix in and I would watch like you, Stranger Things, um, Riverdale, like all of that would happen over Christmas break. And then I don't know. I I don't even have like the Netflix login on my laptop or on my iPad because it's just not something that I do. I've watched a lot of YouTube and stuff like that. But now that I am like working full time and I come home at the end of the night and I do my workout and my my lunch packing, I'm like, wow, I can watch Netflix. So I have been going freaking balls deep in the name of Netflix. I have just been loving it. It's been so much fun, like finishing work and thinking, what am I going to watch tonight? I really like horror movies and murder documentaries and serial killer documentaries. It seems to be the only thing that I can stay awake for everything else. Like rom-coms are not my thing. Um, Comedy is not my thing. I don't like funny movies. I just find them so stupid and boring. I can't stay awake for them. Honestly, I just fall asleep. But so far in my little Netflix rabbit hole. I have watched the Amanda Knox files. Um, The Amanda Knox documentary is really well done. Um, It's very creepy, very unsettling, very sad, but also just, weird. Um, a lot of people think that Amanda Knox is guilty. A lot of people think that she's innocent. I personally don't think that she is guilty, but I also don't think she's hundred percent innocent. I definitely think she may have known more than what she was letting on. I definitely think that she may have had something to do with it. Um, but do I think Amanda Knox is the exact murderer? I'm not sure. I really don't know. Um, So that's one documentary that I've watched. Then I watched The American Murderer. That one is super, super, super fucked up, Um, super disturbing, um, but very well done as well because it is filmed firsthand. So basically, a mom goes missing. Her best friend is the one who dropped her off the night before, and she knows damn well that something suspicious is going on, and she starts recording. All of the footage within American Murderer is real police footage or footage from the mom's friend recording on her iPhone. And it is very, very bizarre. Um, That's a really good documentary to watch as well if you're looking for something just really intriguing. And yeah, it's disturbing, but it keeps me awake. So I've watched that one. And then Danny and I watched The Haunting of Bly Manor. We did watch The Haunting of Hill House last year. Um, I believe I was on Reading Week when we watched it. So we went home to Camelford and just binge watched it. And The Haunting of Bly Manor is really good. Um, I uh, I know a lot of people are on the fence with it. They think it was shit. They think The Haunting of Hill House was better. I definitely agree that The Haunting of Hill House was better. But The Haunting of Bly Manor is really well done in terms of less jump scares and more like mindfuckery. Um yeah, there was like a few things that never really got settled. Uh like I I don't want to like blow it, but there were a few different like storylines that just weren't and few a few different characters that I never really received closure. Now I I do tend to fall asleep when I'm watching things and then wake up and I get bits and pieces, so maybe I was missing it. Um but yeah, it, it was a really good documentary. I was underwhelmed with the ending. I felt like there was so much build up to the ending and then it was just like, oh, it's over. Um, but all in all, great, great, great series. I really love The Haunting of Bly Manor. And if you haven't watched it yet, you should. If you have watched it, let's chat about it in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group because I want to know where y'all stand. Um, if you loved it, if you hated it, if you thought it was shit, um, and different like theories and conspiracies about it. Let's, let's talk about it in the Crazy Beautiful Life, Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group because I'd love to hear it. I have finally started painting Danny and I's apartment. The primer is on. I started painting yesterday, and I'm so excited because I know that once it's done, it's going to look so freaking good. We decided that we would paint over the crazy mural that was on the biggest wall in the apartment. It was a really cute mural, and there were lots of lovely little paintings within it and little quotes and sayings. However, it took up a lot of visual space, and it was also... um, just a wee bit less mature than what Danny and I would like in our space. Um, So yeah, I'm excited because I think it's going to make our apartment look a lot bigger once it's done, like once it's painted over and it's completely white as it was taking up a lot of visual space. We still have a lot of painting left to do. Um, I'm working on the living room right now. And then I also have to do my bedroom and I just know it's going to take a long ass time, but I am just being patient. I'm painting it when I can um, while also still trying to enjoy my days off so they don't go by too quickly. And then I'm right back into the workflow. flow. So I just graduated from university, as you guys know, in April, I finished my final year and I'm feeling pretty good about how I was able to do for myself throughout uni. I was 100% financially independent for all five years of my university career and by 100% financially independent, I mean 100%. My parents did not pay for my tuition or literally anything. I paid tuition, rent, textbooks, living expenses, food, absolutely everything within the last five years has been 100% paid for by myself. And throughout uni, um, you know, a lot of my friends would be like, Oh my God, I'm so broke. Oh my God, I can't do this because I'm so broke. And I don't want to be insensitive to that because university is a hard time and it is very normal to be broke during university. However, just because being broke during university is normal, it doesn't mean that you need to fit into that normalcy. You can be financially well all throughout uni. And that is where I was. Not to say there were times that I didn't go broke. I definitely went broke at the end of first year. Um, Yeah, the end of first year was just a train wreck. I had to move like in like February and I lost a bunch of money from my last month's rent and then I had to pay first and last all over again and I didn't work throughout first year. I did and I didn't, kind of a long story. Um, but yeah, I just remember throughout uni people being like, can you help me with like saving or budgeting or what's that spreadsheet that you have? How can I do that? And how can I set up a budget? How can I be more mindful about saving money? And because I have been forced to be not like, I don't want to say it like that, but because I've been financially independent for so long, I have learned a lot about money and saving and investing and all of those things. And I just want to share them with y'all if they help in any way, shape or form. So you guys, today in the Crazy Beautiful Life podcast, we are going to get into all the things money. We are going to talk about stocks, indexes, investing, financial psychology, financial thermostat, which if you don't know what the financial thermostat is, you're definitely going to know about it today. Um, Diversifying your income, saving more money, making more money, um, and all of those sorts of things. So if you are done being stressed about money, if you are done trying to understand money, trying to get ahead and falling short, then this episode is for you. You. I am here to help. I hate how much stress money causes. I hate money. I Here's the thing. I hate money because I hate how much power it has over our lives, over our freedom, over our sense of self, over our mood. I hate it, but I want to help y'all become more financially free. And that is what this episode is all about. So for today's agenda, like I said, we're going to cover all things money. First up, I'm going to give y'all a brief history about my financial situation growing up and throughout uni, just so you sort of understand where I'm coming from a wee bit and my mindset about money and all of those things. Then we're going to talk about financial psychology and the financial thermostat analogy. And then I'm going to give you guys some tangible and actionable tips and ways that you can actually save money and how you can make more money. And then once you've saved money and you've made more money, I'm going to tell y'all what to do with that extra money that you have so that you can get the absolute most out of it. So for this episode, you are going to want a notebook and a pen or the note section open on your phone because there is a lot of really good information in this episode. Just because you're young, It doesn't mean you need to be broke. It doesn't mean you need to struggle. It doesn't mean that you can't save money. It doesn't mean that you can't get ahead. You can get ahead no matter what job you are working right now. No matter what you are doing, you can get ahead and you can become financially free. And that is what I'm here to do. I'm here to help. I want you guys to lift the financial weight off of your shoulders. So please keep listening to this episode. Okay, so before we get into saving money, making money, and using the money that you have saved, um, I do want to give you guys a wee bit of a history about me and about money and my financial situations growing up and all of those things so you sort of know where I'm coming from a wee bit. So growing up I loved, 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 loved thrifting. I loved going to yard sales and garage sales. I loved going to this place near my house. We call it the Red Barn. I don't know why, Um, but it's a white barn. It's called Busy Bee in Kimmelford. It was just this big like thrift barn thing near the church and you could find like toys and books and just all sorts of random things. And I loved going there when I was little. Um, I just loved going to Value Village and to Lee's and I loved having my own yard sales. And I was very much into the whole secondhand thing because I would have like 50 cents. I'd walk over to the Busy Bee and I would come back with a new Bratz doll. And my siblings always made, always made fun of me because they were like, oh my God, the Busy Bee smells bad and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know why you want clothes from Value Village. They're old, they're dirt, they're dirty, and all of those. And I was like, joke's on you. Like, I just paid 50 cents for a brand new Bratz doll. Like, I'm freaking living. Um, so I always sort of had that mindset when I was a kid of like, if I can get it for less, I will. And then on top of that, um, since I was little, I always wanted to make money. My brothers, when we were living in Belfast, um, Northern Ireland, my brothers had a paper route and I was like five years old and definitely too young to be doing a paper route. And sometimes I would just go with them to feel like I was working and feel like I was making money when I I wasn't. Uh, So when we were living in Canada, I actually started walking dogs for various people in my community. Yes, no word of a lie. I went door to door and I asked, people if they wanted me to walk their dogs. No lie. So my first dog walking thing came out of a a mutual friend. Uh, My grandma's friend had a great grandma who needed help with her blind, diabetic German Shepherd Husky. And um, they contacted my mom and said, you know, do one of your four kids want to walk this dog? The lady lives just across the street from you. And I was like, yeah, of course I'll walk this dog. And I got paid $7 a week, not a walk, a week in the form of a check for walking this blind diabetic husky every single day, which means that I was getting paid a dollar a day to take this dog for a walk. (laughs) I still can't believe like I did that for such little money, but it was just that concept of, you know, being, I think it was in like grade three or grade four and making money that was my own. And even though it was only $7 a week, that was, you know, $14 every two weeks. And it just provided that sense of a little bit of, you know, freedom where I can use that $7 and I can go to the town pool. When I was a kid, I loved going to the town pool for public swim. And there were like Tim Horton sponsored swim where it would be free or there was like daily swims where it would be like three bucks or so. And I would save my dog walking money so that I could go to the town pool. And sometimes on the way back from the town pool, I'd pick up an ice cream from B&C Variety in my hometown. And it was just the best shit ever because I was like, wow, I just took myself out on the best day ever with my $7 dog walking money. And I did know back then I was like $7, like that's nothing um but I still did it anyways and it just taught me that commitment of showing up each day for this dog who needed me um as the owner of the dog was quite elderly and wasn't able to walk her herself and her name is Sasha she was a lovely dog and I miss her so much and yeah I just learned a lot throughout that experience so as I was getting older I started babysitting as most you know tweens usually do I was babysitting almost every day after school, I think in grade five and grade six, and I started saving my money. Now this is hilarious, but in grade six, I saved up enough dog walking and babysitting money to buy my boyfriend at the time a couple of Aeropostale shirts. And I think that is so freaking funny, Um, but I bought him a couple of Aeropostale shirts for his birthday. And I just, I think it's hilarious, but I saved that money and I did that. And then also in grade seven, I saved saved up enough babysitting money to buy myself a bench sweater that was $89.99, a pink and black bench sweater. And all my friends had bench sweaters, you know, that their parents had bought them and stuff like, and stuff like that. Um, but truth be told, uh, my parents were not in a financial position to buy expensive things like that for my siblings and I. It's quite a long story. Um, My parents were wonderful and they did whatever they could to make ends meet. We never went without anything because my parents always found a way to make things work. We had uh, four kids. There's four of us, four, my siblings and I, and uh, my dad is an immigrant and my mom, um, she... provides childminding, daycare, um, and she doesn't make tons of money. um, And my dad was always sort of flipping between jobs of roofing and truck driving and trying to go out west to the oil sands to figure things out. And um, when I was very young, my dad got in a very severe work-related injury that resulted in him having several years off of work. It is quite a long story, um, but my dad um, fell into a tank of alkaline, the stuff that the acid that they use to clean metal or more commonly known the acid that is in batteries um he suffered third degree burns all over one of his legs. It was an acid burn and he went through years of hospitalization, physiotherapy, and then he had to go back to college to retrain for a new job. Um, and all throughout that time, my family was receiving workman's compensation because my dad was injured at work. It's a very long story. Um, but during that time it was, it was very financially stressful for my parents. Um, and my mom, and my siblings, and all of those things, but my parents did such a wonderful job at making sure that we had everything. Despite the financial um, struggles that they were facing, we did have everything. We had a home. We had food. We always had, you know, birthday presents and Christmas presents. They always made things work, and I just find that so admirable about them and so valuable, and then when I was in grade eight, my parents finally... Um, after the accident and after they had gotten back on their feet a wee bit, they bought us a beautiful home out in the countryside that was ours. We owned that home as a family, and we still have that home to this day. So during the time, though, after uh, my dad was injured, it was very, very, very financially hard for my parents. So I didn't have Lululemon yoga pants or a cell phone or the bench jackets. Um, I wasn't doing gymnastics anymore as it was too expensive for us to go to a different town to do gymnastics. Um, there were a lot of financial sacrifices that we did have to make in order to make things work. And because of that, I appreciate money so much more. And I was just so much better with my money from such a young age. So like I said, in grade seven, I bought myself that bench jacket and I love, or bench sweater. I love that bench sweater so much. It came to like $90 with tax. I had saved weeks of baby Sitting money in order to purchase that. Also in grade seven, I really wanted a cell phone and my parents said, no, like you're not getting a cell phone. We can't afford for you to have a cell phone. You're too young. So I saved up my money and I went and bought the LG rumor two for myself. It was $80. And then I saved my babysitting money to buy myself phone cards because it was a pay as you go kind of phone. And that's just how I did it. It wasn't like I was Given a phone by my parents, like every other one of my friends, I had to work for it. So that's sort of where I was as a kid. And then when I was in grade eight and I turned 14 in Ontario at the age of 14, you are legally allowed to work. And I started hunting for jobs left, right and center at all of the local grocery stores and everything in a small town, it can be kind of hard to get a job because a lot of it is based off of who you know. And like I said, my dad's an immigrant. My mom, um, was from Scarborough. So we are not, um, blood and born Camelford people. Um, but we, we, I think we are now like we fit in now. Um, but we just weren't. So we didn't have those, you know, family connections of, you know, like our uncles owning the grocery store or our friends owning a business that we could work at. Um, So I was having a bit of a hard time getting a job when I was 14. It took me about a year. So in that time, I was babysitting and stuff and, you know, doing different dog walking, babysitting. I had a really good babysitting job for two different families that had three boys that were all friends. um, So I could sort of watch them all at once. And I loved it. And then once I was 15, I got a job at the, one of the local pharmacies, and I ended up staying there for, I think, five or six years. And I loved it. I loved working at the pharmacy. It was it was a really good time. But since I started working at the pharmacy, that's when I sort of stopped asking my parents for any sort of money. If I was going somewhere, I was using my money that I was making from the pharmacy. If I wanted, but wanted to buy something, I was saving up for it. Um, unless, of course, it was like a birthday gift or a Christmas gift, but it was never... I never really was just like, hey mom, I really want these shoes. Will you buy them? It, that's not really the the relationship that my family had with money. It was, hey mom, I really want these shoes. I'm going to save up so that I can buy them. Or hey mom, I really want these shoes. Can they be my Christmas present? Um, or can they be my birthday present? Or can I add these to my Christmas list? It was sort of like that. So throughout high school, I was already financially independent in that I had a roof over my head that my parents paid for. My parents obviously paid for all of my food, um, but anything outside of the the necessities was my on my own. Throughout high school, I traveled to New Orleans, Nashville and Memphis twice. I traveled to Vancouver with my jazz band and I did have a lot of expenses um, in terms of traveling and jazz and band, uh, but I also paid for all of these things on my own. Now, this put me in a really good financial position moving into um, university. When I graduated from grade 12, I, I was going straight into university at the age of 18, and I was already sort of used to providing for myself, working for my money, and all of those sorts of things. One thing I wish I did throughout... Um, high school better was saving. I didn't save very well throughout high school. I just sort of money would come in and out and I would spend it. I wasn't great at packing lunches throughout high school. The, I sort of flip-flopped throughout the years. You know, a couple of years I was really good. A couple years I was really not. And I really wish that I focused more on saving money throughout high school because that was prime time. During the summers of high school too, I worked full-time. I worked every day, nine to five or nine to seven. And that gave me a lot of freedom to purchase nice things, purchase things that I wanted, do things that I wanted. So on the outside, it it looked like I was someone who had a lot of money (laughs) because I was working and I was buying these things. And yeah, And then come uni, I, like I said uh, before, I paid my way through uni all completely on my own. During first year, I was still working back in my hometown because I was still um, dating my hometown boyfriend at the time. So I came home almost every weekend and almost every weekend, at least one of the days I would work at the pharmacy. I would go back to the pharmacy for my reading weeks. I would go back to the pharmacy for Christmas holidays. Um, And then after first year, I moved home for the summer and I worked at the pharmacy again. In second year, I worked for the university. I worked for their varsity, um, like varsity sports. I worked like all the sports games and stuff. And then I worked there again in third year. And then in fourth year, I got my part-time job at Patagonia. So I was part-time at Patagonia for fourth year. For fifth year, I was part-time at Patagonia and I was part-time at the prenatal clinic that I talked about before. And now I'm full-time at Patagonia. So I worked every year all throughout university and that allowed me to pay my way through school. And in the summers, you guys know, I worked at the Boat. So I was very lucky to receive OSAP throughout uni. I qualified because my parents' income was on the lower end or I don't know how to, how to put this, but basically um, I qualified for OSAP, long story short. I qualified for OSAP. And I was also not receiving any financial compensation from my parents. I actually didn't get to live in res of first year university, which is something that I'm still sad about. I can't imagine how different my life would be if I did live in res. I would have probably different friends. I don't know. Um, but it's just so weird. But yeah, during first year, I just lived in random student housing with a bunch of random ass people. It was an absolute train wreck. I can do a story about that another time. Um, but I didn't get to live in in res during first year university. My parents didn't have $13,000 to drop on it. OSAP didn't cover it. And I did not have that kind of money. So I paid all my rent, um, all five years of university, all my groceries, all five years, all my spending, everything. I never asked my parents for money. Um, and I'm proud of that. And it's something that was really hard for me. And I know I'm not unique. I know there's a lot of people who are in the same position as me, but I'm just sort of giving you guys a general understanding of how I am. Throughout uni, each year, um, when I would receive the amount, like the quote for my OSAP funding, I would open up a new Excel spreadsheet and I would go from September until the following June and I would budget out everything. I would literally do a full-on spreadsheet of how much money was coming in each month, how much money was going out each month, how much money I already had, um, my rent budget, my grocery budget, my um, takeout budget, everything I would do in Excel spreadsheets. And I would check in on those every few months or so just to make sure that I wasn't living outside my means so that I wouldn't essentially go broke. And that is something that I am so glad that I did from such a young age No one told me to do this. Um, It was just sort of something I knew like, hey, if I don't set budgets, if I don't plan financially, if I don't organize my finances well, then university is going to be miserable and university is going to be hard and I'm going to be focusing on money instead of focusing on my studies. So that is sort of where I started the budgeting, the saving, the, the sort of more mindful spending and mindful money and all of those things. Uh, throughout uni also I was a big believer in go hard at the pre so you don't have to buy any drinks at the bar I still rarely if ever buy drinks at bars unless it's like I'm going to a bar to sit down at like a what's it called? A brewery or something like that. Um, But still, if I go out, like I'm getting fucked up at the pre and I'm not buying anything at the bar. That's just sort of how I was throughout uni. And it was a big thrifter. And yeah, I just, I tried my very, very best throughout uni to eliminate as much stress as possible regarding money. And I planned out everything. I budgeted everything. And I would always get questions like from my friends, like, how are you not broke? And you know, how are you saving money? And how are you eating out while you know, not always complaining about how broke you are? Um, and it was honestly just planning and organizing and making sure that I was on top of my shit that was distilled in me from a very young age. Money was always something that was on my mind when I was a kid, um, making money, saving money, having enough money to do certain things. And I just knew during uni that I needed to put myself in a good financial position so that I could do well and so that I could get good grades. And yeah, I guess that's just sort of a brief, um, brief sort of background on my relationship with money and how I made it through university. So how do you legitimately save money? How did I do it? How did I get through university? How am I now, you know, six months out of university with a very impressive amount of savings for, you know, how recently I've been graduating. How do you do it? So legitimately saving money straight up comes down to doing away with convenience and accepting that convenience will be the determinant of how much money you save. First thing, First things first, you want to do this right now. If you don't have the time to print out your bank statements and go through them and see, you know, where you're spending all of your money, download the app. Mint. Mint is a very, very helpful app if you are just dipping your toes into the money-saving world because it categorizes all of your purchases. So you can visually see how much money you are spending each month, each month how much money you are throwing away, um, and all of those things. Mint also allows you to set budgets. So it allows you to set budgets for groceries, food, shopping, clothing, entertainment, Uber, all of those things. You can set monthly budgets and it'll Set budgets based. It'll provide um, suggested budgets based off of your cash flow. So how much money is coming in and out of your account every month, um, and then you can also set budgets that are more specific to your needs. And then those budgets will allow you to um, create a savings plan. So Mint's most basic savings plan is 5K in 12 months, um, and it basically sets a savings or sets a budget for all of your expenses that allows the app to determine Like basically it it looks at your cash flow and it looks through all of your purchases and what you usually spend money on. And it sets budgets so that you can save $5,000 in 12 months. That's the most basic one. Or you can customize it like I did and, um, set different budgets so that you can have different goals and it'll tell you it'll, it'll give you alerts when you're, you know, near your takeout budget, when you're near your Uber budget, when you're near your grocery budget each month. And it'll tell you like for the rest of October, you have X amount of dollars to spend. Um, this month, I spent a wee bit more money because Danny and I needed to get new things for the apartment. Uh, we didn't have like a lot of things that we didn't know we would need. (laughs) Like we needed a lamp. We didn't have a lamp. Uh, We need to get an island. Um, So we spent a wee bit more money this month. So my Mint app was like alerting me like crazy. Like you are $300 over your like shopping budget. You are $200 over this or whatever it was. Um, And I find that really helpful because then it, it brings it to your awareness. You can visually see like, holy shit, Last month, I spent a total of $170 at Starbucks. Not saying me specifically, but you know what I'm talking about. It just brings that whole new level of awareness. And that awareness will transfer over into the small financial decisions that you're making every single day. I find it so easy to forget about, you know, the, the things we're spending money on or the 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 $10 Uber here and there or the $7 Uber or whatever. That, uh, that can add up. That can add up to like $300 a month. And Mint is super great at categorizing those purchases. So you can just open up the app and you can see like, holy shit, I spent $200 on Uber this month or I spent $250 on takeout food. It's really, really, really good for increasing your awareness. And that is why I think it is the first step to saving money because you can't save money unless you are aware of the areas that you need to start saving in. So on my app, I have a budget of $50 a month on coffee. And you might think that's crazy, but I drink a lot of coffee. I love coffee. It's something I genuinely enjoy. I love making my own coffee. I love the act of going out and getting a coffee. I just love coffee, okay? And my app will actually send me an alert when I'm near my coffee budget. And it would let me know, like, for the rest of October, you have $4 left to spend at coffee shops. So get your ass in gear, lady. Um, So, yeah, bringing that level of awareness to your transactions is just so much more important. So now when I go and buy a coffee, I'm like, oh, I should check my, my Mint app and see how close I am to my budget. Or just general, like... Just overall general awareness of your transactions really, really, really helps you save money. So I budget. I still make my Excel spreadsheet because that helps me budget um, my income, my outcome. I always budget how much money I have coming in, how much money I have going out um, for just the essentials. So in my Mint app and in my Excel spreadsheet, I look at three main things, groceries, rent, and bills. And those are the things that are like the essentials, right? Like you're always going to have to be paying for those grocery, rent, and bills. And then I have my money income. Um, And then I subtract my groceries, rent, and bills from my income, which tells me what I have left over to budget for all of the other things, the non-essential things. So then I have other budgets, like I said, eating out, coffee, Ubers, Shopping, all of those sorts of things, and I love that the app does it all for you. But it's also nice to sort of have that control within your Excel spreadsheet to figure out like how much you want to be you want to be spending. So I help Danny do this as well. We sit down with the spreadsheet, we get it all out there, and then we take our personalized spreadsheet, put it in the Mint app, to and then alter our budgets so that we know how much we need to be saving in order to be getting ahead. Um, So yeah, that was really long-winded, but I just really love the app Mint. I think it's great. I think you all need to get it, and I think it is excellent for saving money. The next thing I would recommend for saving money is to always look for things secondhand before you decide to go and purchase them new. Facebook marketplace in the city of Toronto is a fucking gold mine. You can find everything on there that you would possibly need. There is so much. And also from an environmental standpoint, everything that us humans need to survive is already on this earth. The jacket that you want from Zara is, has already been purchased. It is already out there and it is already up for sale secondhand. The, the, different pieces of furniture that you want. They already exist. You don't need to buy anything new. There is so much product out there in the world. There are so many consumers. Everything that you need is out there and it's out there for use in good condition on a variety of different apps like Poshmark, Facebook Marketplace, um Donation stores like Value Village, Talese, Salvation Army, all of those sorts of things. So that is my second tip for saving money is to look for absolutely everything second hand before you determine if you need it new so for example Danny and I really needed an island that we could sit at that we could use as a desk that we could also use as a kitchen table for eating dinner and stuff and I combed through Facebook marketplace like every day for like three weeks before I finally decided to pull the plug and order one off of Wayfair I looked trust me I looked long I looked hard and I just was determined to find one used, and I fell short. Um, It can be hard to find things secondhand sometimes, but it can also be really, really easy. So if you're looking for a new dress for an event that you have coming up, look for that new dress used first. And once you've exhausted the used options, then go and purchase them brand new. You will save so much money thrifting, buying things secondhand, trading for things, um, all of that. It's its so important to do these things when you're trying to save money. Okay, so you've got your budget d- down and set and sorted. You um, have started purchasing things secondhand. Um, but now the next thing and possibly one of the most important things is to stop making spending money a pastime. I can't stress this enough and how much it just infuriates me. Capitalism has made us believe that we need to go and consume things for happiness. We need to go and buy things and that's going to make us happy. We need to go spend money in different places and it's just so weird. Like for example, if I want to go for a walk, um, I'm not just going to go for a walk to go for a walk. I'm going to go for a walk to buy a coffee and I'm going to go like for a coffee walk, like <laughs> guess Danny and I call it. Like, and Danny will say this to me sometimes too, like, do you wanna go for a walk and get a coffee? It's like, why don't we just go for a fucking walk? Like, why don't we just pack a coffee here at the house, put it in our Contigo, I love Contigos by the way, and just go for a walk? Like, why does it always have to be like, let's go out and do this? Or like, let's go for a drive to McDonald's. Why don't you just go for a drive? Or if you wanna hang out with a friend, like, oh, why don't we go grab brunch? It's like, why don't you just go hang out in a park? Why does it always have to be that, that transactional process? Why can't we just do things that don't involve spend, spending money? A lot of people also use spending money as a pastime in terms of shopping. They'll go, be bored and they'll say, oh, why don't we go to the Eaton Center? Or why don't we go to the mall to, you know, just pass some time? Well, do you need to go to the mall? Are you looking for something specifically or are you just mindlessly browsing? And then because you're mindlessly browsing, you're just going to go and buy things and just spend money that you don't need to be spending. It's so weird how capitalism and consumerism has has made us believe that spending money is a pastime. You guys, it's like, think about that in your brain for a second. Spending money should not be a pastime. Money is precious. Money is earned. Money is, is time that we have put into something. And we just use it to, to pass the time. That makes no sense to me. And even when we go to hang out with friends, it's like, oh, why don't we go grab dinner? Why don't we go grab brunch? Why don't we go for coffee? Why don't we go gra- grab drinks? Why don't you go for a walk? Why don't you go have a picnic in a park? Why don't you go for a bike ride or a rollerblade or a run together? Not only will this benefit your finances, but this will benefit the environment. This will benefit the freaking state of COVID. No one needs to be mindlessly shopping right now as a pastime. Essential shopping only. Please, people, get it together. It's so weird how once you become more aware of this, you are kind of mind fucked in that like, yeah, why do I do that? Like, why don't I just go for a walk? Why does it have to be go for a walk to buy a coffee or buy something? Or why does going for a date have to involve spending money? Guys, going for a date with your significant other can literally be going for a bike ride. Danny and I went for a bike ride the other night after work and it was so enjoyable and it was so lovely. We didn't need to go sit down at a, res- at a restaurant and blow our money on it. We just went for a bike ride and it was so special. Going for a date can literally just be walking down to the lake and sitting on a bench and chit-chatting or having a picnic or whatever. You need to change your mindset that spending money is a pastime. I used to be guilty of this. I used to be like, oh, I'm bored. I'm going to go to the Eaton Center. Oh, I'm bored. I'm going to go to, you know, Kensington or go to Value Village, even Value Village. Although it's secondhand and it's used stuff, I should still be going to the store with I am looking for XYZ instead of just mindlessly strolling through a store and just spending money that I don't need to otherwise be spending. It's so weird that we have this mindset of needing to spend money as a pastime. And if you can break that mindset, if you can get out of that headspace, you will find that the money in your account is going up and up and up. Hanging out with friends doesn't need to be going out for dinner. It can be hanging out in your backyard with a campfire when it's appropriate to do so, permitting COVID. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Yeah. That's just sort of something that I've come to realize over the last wee while and it's just so strange and it's so weird and it's just odd. It's just odd how we feel like hanging out or doing something with someone needs to be a transactional process. It's bizarre. And so you, you've you done your budget, okay? You've looked for things secondhand. You've changed your mindset that you don't need to go out and spend money as a pastime. And the last thing that you need to do to start saving money is give up the idea of convenience because convenience will deplete your bank account. Danny and I live right next to a Loblaws, a beautiful Loblaws at that. There is a food court. There is a flower shop. There is a bakery, a pizzeria. There is, it's just like the wonderland of grocery stores. It's so freaking nice and it's so convenient I'm literally looking out of my balcony right now and I can see the Loblaws. It's like a two minute walk and we will run there if we um, just need like a thing or two. But it would be so convenient for Danny and I to do our shopping there. But it's expensive as shit. Last night we needed um, lettuce for lettuce cup tacos. I paid $6.49 at this Loblaws for a thing of three Romaine hearts. $6.49 for lettuce because it was convenient that is insane that is astonishing so take a look at the grocery stores that you go to are you going to those grocery stores because they're convenient or do you go to those grocery stores because they genuinely help you save money Danny and I are super fortunate in that Danny's mom has a car and we get her car once a week overnight and that's when we go do our shopping we drive out to no frills um that is like, I don't know, 15 minute drive from our house. It's really not that far. Um, but we get the car once a week to go to no frills and do all our shopping at no frills because no frills is cheap. And I collect PC optimum points there, which means that my points, um, they build up and then I can use those points for like $10 off, $30 off, $40 off, what have you. Um, so we've given up the convenience of doing our grocery shopping right next to our house. We have to go to Danny's mom's, bike there or Uber there or Subway if we're feeling comfortable, get the car, drive to do the groceries, set up a parking pass at our building overnight um, for Danny's mom's car. Then we got to take her car back to her It's not convenient. Like nothing is convenient about it. We could literally just walk outside and go to the Loblaws or we could walk 100 meters in the other direction and go to Sobeys. But we do it because it's cheaper. Going to no frills is so much cheaper. And that's a a really, really easy way that we are saving money. So take a look at what you're doing The gas stations that you're going to, the grocery stores that you're going to, the shops that you are shopping at, are you going to them out of convenience or are you going to them with the intention of saving money? Think about that. And once you become aware of that, you will see that the money in your bank account will start to go up and up and up. It's very important. My next tip for saving money is to save first. And that is exactly what it means in every way, shape, and form. As soon as you get paid, you are putting your money into your savings, your money into your RSPs, TFSAs, whatever it is. You are saving first instead of waiting until the end of the month to save what's left over. So many people go throughout the month and they wait until the end of the month and they say, okay, this month I have X amount of dollars left over. So I'm going to save. I'm going to put that into my savings. And if you are saving what's left over, the truth is you're never going to save. You are not going to save lots of money. You are not going to experience financial freedom because you need to save First. So, whenever I get paid, the way that I have worked out my budget is I only spend in my checking account and my credit card. So, I use my credit card for every single transaction because I get points back, um, I get cash back, um, and it builds my credit. And then I transfer from my checking to my credit card. So, I only leave. What's within my budget within my checking account plus $100 just for those just in cases. So everything else that's not within my budget and that's not my one extra extra $100 cushion goes directly into my savings and I'm not touching that. Um, Other than of course my rent. I put my rent money in my savings um, just because that's my like non-touchy money. And then I use that to pay for my rent. Um, But it's very important that you save first you pay attention because now I've got that $400 in my checking account that will be there until I get paid the next time in two weeks. And I need to be diligent and I need to make sure that I don't go outside of my budget and blow through that $400. And most of the time I don't, I've been really good at saving lately. I haven't been going through $400 every two weeks. Um, just because I've been being really, really diligent about my spending. Um, So save first. As soon as you get paid, figure out how much you need to leave in your account um, that's within your budget and the rest goes directly into your savings, whatever your savings may be. If you save first, I promise you, you will get ahead. Okay, so those are just a few of the ways that I recommend saving money. I'm hoping that they're a little different than all of the ones that you've heard before. Um, You know, I didn't want to say like, pack a lunch, like do this, do that. I wanted to to provide more general structures for saving money. So if you want to save money, you need to start budgeting. You need to look for things secondhand instead of new every single time. You need to stop using spending money as a pastime and you need to save first. Those things are very very important. And in order to do these things and help drive your motivation towards these things, I really want to talk about financial psychology and the financial thermostat. So f- basically with finances is if you've been in a financial posi- position that is, you know, struggling and low, you may not think that you deserve money. And changing that mindset of, I deserve to have lots of money in my bank account. I deserve financial freedom. I deserve to, you know, have lots of savings that will help you avoid situations of self-sabotage is just recognizing and knowing that you deserve to have more money. You deserve to be living, you know, financially stress free. And there's always a little bit of stress there. And I'm not living in a fucking wonder world where everything is sunshine and rainbows, but you shouldn't be stressing about money every single day or every single time that you go to pay rent. You need to recognize that you deserve money. You deserve savings. you deserve a financially free and independent lifestyle. And when you truly believe those, those little bits of self-sabotage and, and blowing money on stupid things and going on crazy um, shopping sprees and spending sprees, you'll be less likely to do them because you'll know that you deserve to have money in your in your account. And the second thing within financial th- uh, financial psychology is what is called the financial thermostat. Now, I did not come up with this idea. This is something that is talked about a lot in the money-saving um, industry, and it is really a mindset. And uh, that is, so let's pick a random number. Say you are most comfortable when you have, I don't know, let's lowball it, $2,000 in your account. So you're you're super financially comfy when you have $2,000 in your account. You've set this goal where you always want to have $2,000 in your account. And that means, you know, that you can pay your rent and your hydro and your, your car insurance and your car payment and all of those things and still be well and still have $2,000 in your saving. But something happens. Something happens to your car and you... You cut $1,000 out of your, your comfy $2,000. So now you're down to $1,000 in your bank account. And it's just like a thermostat. So in a house, um, mine is usually set to like 20 because I kind of like it on the cooler side of things. Or my heat's off. I'm, I'm kind of weird. But anyways, your house thermostat is set to 20. And it goes down and it goes down and it goes down until it reach a, uh, reaches a certain threshold. And then the heat kicks on and then it gets back up to 20, and then it shuts off again. And then it goes down and down and down and down and down until it reaches, you know, 19.5, 19, and then the heat kicks on and gets you back up to 20. Let's think about this from your bank account. So like I said, you're $2,000. You had a big accident or something. Your car needed maintenance. A big bill, you're down to $1,000. Your financial thermostat kicks on shit. I only have a thousand dollars in my account. I need to be super frugal. I need to not, um, go out this month. I need to, you know, pack a lunch this week for work. I need to do whatever I can to get my bank account back up to $2,000. So we do all of these great money saving things and we cut corners here and there and we don't go out and we spend less money on beer. And, you know, we don't go out for those mindless shopping sprees where we go and, and spend things. um, and we keep doing this until we get up to that $2,000. And then boom, we're at the 2000 and our financial thermostat shuts off. Congratulations, you're at your $2,000. You can stop being frugal and all the things and you can just sit comfortably. It also works the same in the other direction. So you somehow, let's say you get your tax return. Cool, you get your tax return. You have another $700 in your account or however much your tax return usually is. Um, and you're like, wow, I have, I have, $2,700 in my account right now. This is awesome. I can go buy a new pair of jeans. I can buy a new sweater. I can buy a new hoodie, yada, yada, yada. And um, yeah, this is this is great. And then you get back down to your $2,000 and you're like, ooh, I should probably hold off for a little bit. I should probably not, you know, be living the way I was outside of my means because I'm at my, my financial thermostat has been like, hey, you got 2000 No more. No more. So recognizing your financial thermostat is so important because our financial thermostat is what keeps us broke. It's what keeps us from saving. And we just flip-flop between those two two directions over and over and over of extreme frugalness and extreme money awareness to the complete other side of the thing where I have lots of money and I don't need to be frugal frugal at all to somewhere in the middle. Recognizing and owning your financial thermostat and being aware of it is very important for just being better with your savings and your money because you live in a very frugal state when you're at that $1,000, right? To get back to where you were. But there's a sweet spot in the middle of living somewhat frugal and being aware of your spending and your budgeting and your mindset and less mindless shopping and buying secondhand and all of those things and also having a little bit of wiggle room to buy nice things and have nice purchases and have nice things that's not outside of your means. So, take a look at yourself and your finances and is there a certain thermostat number or a certain threshold that you're sitting at and how can you make it so you can be frugal and save money while also enjoying nice things it's super super cool when you when you recognize that it's a very crazy mindset it's a bit of a mind fuck honestly And basically what I'm getting at with saving money is it all comes down to mindset. Mindset with money is so, so, so important. When you realize that everything is a transaction, when you unsubscribe to the consumerism and the capitalistic society, you start saving money. When you're present in your purchases, you start saving money. It all comes down to your mindset and small things that you do every day that make the money in your account go up and up and up. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I just wanted to interrupt you briefly to talk about Young Living Essential Oils. Young Living Essential Oils are the international leader in therapeutic grade essential oils. With their seed to seal guarantee, you can ensure that you are getting essential oils of the highest purity and highest potency. Some of my favorite, favorite blends are Valor, Peace and Calming, and Christmas Spirit. They have hundreds of different essential oils, natural health products, accessories, and more on their website. I absolutely love their natural home cleaning products. If you are ready to switch out things in your daily life for a natural, chemical-free alternative, then Young Living Essential Oils is the company for you. Additionally, should you decide to do the business side of things, their compensation plan is phenomenal. They have provided me so much financial freedom, emotional freedom, and chemical freedom in my life. If you're ready to get started with your Young Living journey, whether it be just purchasing some oils or getting going with your business, send me a DM and I'm happy to help you out. Okay, so you know how to save your money, but what can you do to start driving more money into your account to to essentially make more money? Look around you. Look around you right now. Look around your room, look around your house, look around your apartment, whatever it is. All of those things used to be money in your account. So when you go on these big of b- b- excuse me, big splurges or purges of, you know, cleaning out your space, don't just donate everything. That's money. That's money that used to be in your account. And you should try your absolute best to get a wee bit of that money back. You can take your clothes to different places like Common Sort. Common Sort will give you a credit for your money that you can use to um, buy more clothes or new clothes or something like that. Sell your things on Facebook Marketplace. Try selling things before you just go ahead and donate them. There are lots of things that people are donating out of convenience. Again, it is so convenient to just drop something off at the donation center. It is inconvenient to, you know, set up a, an arrangement so that you can meet up with someone so that they can purchase something. It's inconvenient. I get it. But you need to do these things if you want to make more money. Another thing you can do to make more money is to monetize your skills. Do you speak another language? Do you play an instrument? Could you tutor someone? Do you sing? Can you teach singing lessons? Are you a photographer? Can you take photos for brands that they can use on their websites and postcards and and advertisements? What skills do you have? Do you make macrame? Can you sell macrame? Do you like to paint? Can you sell your paintings? What skills do you have that you can monetize? And I'm not saying that you need to monetize every aspect of your life. But if you're in that position where, you know, a little bit of extra money coming in would help you save a lot more money in the long run, then monetize your skills, y'all. We all have amazing skills that people want to learn. We all can create amazing things that people want to buy. You're doing yourself a disservice by keeping all of these amazing skills and things to yourselves. For me, something that I love to do is make podcasts. I love making podcasts. I love chatting. I'm a chit-chatter. I've always been a chatterbox. I've always been like that growing up. My mom would always say, you're such a chatterbox. So I monetized it and I made a podcast. And now I just sit here and chit-chat with y'all and I make money from it and it's amazing. So what can you do? What can you monetize to bring a little bit of extra money into your life? Are you really, really good at makeup? Can you do makeup for different content creators throughout the cities, throughout the city when they need to do, when they need to shoot different content? Are, are you really great at yoga? Are, can you get a yoga instructor's certification so that you can monetize your love for yoga? There are so many things that you can do to make a little bit of extra money on the side. Something that I do that um, is not for everyone is I have a side hustle through a multi-level marketing company called Young Living. And I absolutely love doing Young Living because I freaking love essential oils. I'm going to use them in my house anyways. I'm going to buy them anyways. I was buying Young Living products long before I decided to do the business. And I love doing the business because I just share oils and I share natural health products and I share different um, chemical free cleaners and things that I use in my home and I make money off of it. And it's rewarding. I understand that a lot of people Um, Who get involved with multi level marketing companies put themselves in a bad financial position. I understand the risk associated with that, and I know that there are a lot of people who get involved with multi level marketing and they actually lose money, but that was not the case for me. I was already using these products anyways. I was already spending my money on these things, and I'm not losing money, I'm making money. And another way that I'm making, um, not necessarily making money, but when you monetize something and you are technically self-employed, so if you're teaching singing lessons, if you are doing you know, virtual guitar lessons over Zoom, if you are you know, doing paintings or something from someone, you are now self-employed, which means that within the federal government, you are eligible for tax write-offs. Because I am self-employed via my business with Young Living, I have so many write-offs, it's insane. I can write off a portion of my rent because a lot, like my young living business is from home. I can write off my phone bill, my internet bill. I can write off um, assets to create my home office where I will sit and do my young living things. I'm technically self-employed, so if I need to go you know, to Campbellford to deliver an oil to someone, I can write off the mileage for that, the gas the train ticket, whatever it may be. It's so, so interesting when you start paying attention to the system and how it works and how you can work with the system instead of fighting the system. When you fight the system all the time and you're so apprehensive to, to all of the things, you just need to shift and start thinking about how can I work with the system to benefit myself? I hate that rent in Toronto is so expensive. Rent in Toronto is fucking ridiculous, you guys. It is insane. But I can work with the system. How can I use this rent that I'm paying and write off a small portion of it? Well, I can be self-employed. Now I can write off a portion of my rent, which brings my income down, which means I get a greater tax return. It's about learning the system, knowing the system, and using the system. It's super, super, super important. So find another way to build an income stream that's on the side, that's passive, that you do it on your own terms when you feel like it so you have that little bit of extra cash flow that you can sink into, you know, an investing account, a TFSA, an RRSP. You can sink it into your student loans. You can sink it into something that you've wanted to purchase for a while. These little bits of making extra money on the side really, really, really help you in saving more money. So that brings us to here. We've saved more money. We've made more money. We have more money in our account. What can we do to utilize that money in the best way that we possibly can? I am no genius. I am not a financial advisor. I am not trained in finances. I have not taken course, taken courses on this, but I do know a wee bit. The first thing that I know is you need to start planning for your retirement now, in your early 20s. If you're in your early 20s and you are listening to this podcast, go to the bank right now. Make an appointment with your financial advisor and set up a registered retirement savings plan. A registered retirement savings plan is a tax write-off, first of all, which means that when you file your income taxes in you know April or whatever, however much money is in your registered retirement savings plan gets reduced subtract it from your annual income and thereby bringing down your um, your annual your income for that year, thereby bringing down the amount of taxes that you owe or increasing the amount that you will be getting in a return. Just so you know. So you need a registered retirement, pl- registered retirement savings plan, one, for the tax write-off, and two, because you need to be planning for your retirement. Those who are incredibly comfortable in the retirement now they started planning for their retirement when they were 20. They started p- planning for their retirement in their 20s. Now figuring out whether or not you want your RSP to just be a straight up self-directed RSP, or if you want your RSP to you know be a mutual fund or a GIC or something like that, you can figure that out later. You can figure that out when you have a little bit more money, a little bit more time, and a little bit more financial awareness. But the least, the the least you can do right now is make an appointment at the bank. And set up an RRSP on auto pay. Maybe, you know, 50 bucks gets taken off of your paycheck every week. And then once you start making more money, 100 bucks or 200 bucks or whatever it may be. Um, and then that will just keep going and going and going until you retire and you have set yourself up and you will thank yourself. Trust me, you will thank yourself. So that's one of the things that you need to do with your money to make it better. Second thing, you know, we've, we've saved all this money. What do we do with it? You want to start looking into and talking with a financial advisor about investments and more specifically index funds. Tons of millennials are investing in index funds right now that have a 10% annual return rate and 9% annual return, and they are making very good money. They are achieving financial freedom. Hell, people are becoming millionaires off of index funds. Stocks are hard because with stocks you're constantly trying to beat the market. Essentially, um, so I have a few different stocks, a few different holdings, and a few different country, a few different companies. And if that's what you want to sort of dip your toes within first, go for it. What you want to do is you want to look at small cap stocks. So small cap stocks are stocks that are you know between 10 or even smaller, zero to $50 that you can buy multiple of because, you know, buying one stock in Tesla may not be great because you're only holding one stock. Whereas buying 50 stocks in Air Canada may be more beneficial because you're holding more stocks, which essentially means that when the market goes up and you decide to sell those stocks, you are getting more of a return. It's kind of hard to to explain, but that's what it is. So just because you're 20, it doesn't mean that you can't start looking at stocks and investments and bonds and all of those things because it will be more beneficial in the long run. So with your money that you've saved, make use of it, invest it in different stocks, learn about the stock market, talk to your financial advisor, and then look at index funds. So index funds basically, instead of you know just being with one company, index funds have holdings in a variety of companies. The most popular is the S P. 500. It, it encompasses 500 different companies so that you don't need to be looking at the market every single day. It's more considered more of a passive income and it has a greater return. So index funds are the way to go right now. If you are a millennial, take a few hundred dollars of, those, of the savings that you have, sink them into an index fund and just ride it out, watch the market and watch your money grow. It's a great thing to do. I personally, for all of my stocks, all of my investing, other than my RRSP, I do it through my TFSA. So I put money into my tax-free savings account, and then I use that money to purchase my stocks or my index funds. And that means that any earnings that I make off of those are tax-free. They are not taxable. They are non they are a source of non-taxable income. So if you are getting into the the stocks world, the index funds world, you want to do it through TFSA so that that income is non-taxable, okay? We can talk about what to do with your money more in a different episode because I feel like this one got really long, really fast. Um, But yeah, I hope that you guys found this information helpful. I know we're a little bit all over the place and I know this episode is really long, but it's so important for us in our 20s to pay attention to money, to save money and to see what we can do with money to get ahead instead of just living along in a comfortable way or an uncomfortable way. You deserve financial freedom. You deserve to make informed financial decisions. You deserve to set yourself up for success in the long run. And you deserve lots and lots of savings. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode and I look forward to making more Millennial Money Move episodes in the future. I love you guys so much and if you have any questions about anything that I talked about today, please go ahead and post them in the Crazy Beautiful Life Facebook group and I will be more than happy to answer. Don't forget, as always, to share this episode on your Instagram stories. It's critical for this podcast to grow and this podcast to prosper that you guys share it. I can't do it without your help. So please, please, please share this episode on your Instagram stories. It would mean the absolute world to me. Share it with a friend. Share it with two. Share it with anyone. It will make me super happy. I love you guys so much, and I will see you in the next episode. Have a great week and happy Monday. Thank you so much for listening to The Crazy Beautiful Life. If you'd like to leave me an Apple Podcast review, I would really appreciate it. And make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I'll see you all next Monday. It is a beautiful life.